Welcome, eagles and eaglets, to another edition of Road Noise. This is Will. This is Jay. And eagle families, you may not know this, but the history of Road Noise goes back to afternoon meetings in my office between Jay and I when we would get lost on all kinds of philosophical and theological topics. And we thought, let's just share those with you. So today's episode of Road Noise is going to go all the way back to its roots in that I don't know exactly where we're going on this episode, but Jay has come to me and said, we're going to hit the booth. I have a story to tell you, and let's take it from there. So with that, Jay's going to tell me a story, and we'll just see kind of where the spirit takes us. I want to share with you one of the strangest conversations that I ever remember having. So set this scene for you. I'm at a church that I'm working at. I'm currently the college minister at this church, uh-huh. and I'm sitting across from a table full of elders. I'm telling them that I would like to make a move in our church from the college ministry to the youth ministry. Okay. And all of them have these very perplexed looks on their faces. One of them finally revealed the source of this confusion when he said to me, Jay, you understand that this is a move down mm-hmm. from your current position? What they were essentially asking me was, Jay, don't you want more power, Mm -hmm. not less power? I guess in that moment, I sort of understood it, but like in the kingdom, I didn't think about it that way. Sure. And I realized that power is a big deal for us. And that's what I'd like us to talk about today. Power. Power. You know, the social sciences inform us that humans overwhelmingly use power as a means to suppress and control other people. But as Christians, we're different. Don't we we see power dynamics differently, or are we just confused about it as everybody else? Well, you would hope we see power dynamics differently, because Jesus sees it differently. Oh, yeah. That's so much of the narrative of transitioning from the Old Testament into the New Testament is upending expectations, last becoming first, king of all dying. Sure, no doubt. I think their confusion is born out of a misconception that we have in our culture. And that misconception is that power is a resource that is in limited supply. If I give it to one person, I have to take it away from somebody else. If I give enough of it away, then I don't get to go where I want to go. There's really only one best trajectory with power, and that's hoarding more and more of it. It's not something you let go of. It's something you accumulate. That is overwhelmingly the cultural narrative. I'm not going to give this away. It's similar to our discussion then on money. Probably. Hoard it. Hoard it. But this isn't how Jesus talks about power. It's certainly not how Jesus uses power, as you said. Sure. Is Jesus the most powerful human being ever to walk the face of the earth? Yes. By a wide margin. He can raise the dead. He can raise the dead. That puts him in a different category. He can turn water into wine. I once heard a rocket scientist, somebody who worked for NASA, talk about the science of miracles. Uh Uh-huh. And he said the real miracle of Jesus turning water into wine is that everyone in proximity got to keep their skin on because the amount of power that it would take in that moment to turn one from the other should have melted everyone. Hmm. That's the kind of power he has. And even at the end, he tells his disciples, I could call down 10,000 angels right now. I don't have to endure this, but this has to be done. I need to be the sacrifice. So he wields a tremendous amount of power. Yet, I don't think when we look at Jesus, we are thinking about somebody who's hoarding that power or using it to control other people. Well, in the description you're talking about there with the 10,000 angels, that's at least a couple different forms of power. Sure. Because he has raw, miraculous power, but he's displaying a power of constitution and discipline to withhold, and that's really powerful, and that's something pretty rare. 
No doubt. And we shouldn't feel too bad if this is the conception that we have of power because it's what the culture is constantly speaking into us. And it's something that's difficult for the disciples. We see the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. We've talked about that recently on a podcast. James and John are asking Jesus to sit at his left and his right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I want to be further up the ladder. Mm -hmm. Jesus, okay, you're number one, but we want to be two and three. And there's some perception there that that's what it means to be powerful. And when Jesus is using this as a teachable moment, not only Mm -hmm. for James and John, but for all of his disciples, we read this in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of the world will tell us you need to collect power into yourself. You can use it to move and manipulate other people to make them do what you want them to do. And Jesus is not doing that. It's not his model. What do we see Jesus doing all the time with his power? Giving it away. Constantly. Both directly and indirectly. Sure. There's the story of the woman that touches the hem of his garment and his power leaves him, Mm -hmm. which is a really fascinating story because it suggests that God is so giving with the power that he's not even gatekeeping it necessarily for someone who comes in faith. Sure. She's terrified in that moment. Right. Because she realizes because of what she is dealing with and struggling with, she's unclean. And she has no business being by a rabbi. Yep. We know that Jesus doesn't care about that. But Mm -hmm. culturally— And you see this very tender moment with Jesus where it's like, oh, no, no, that's not what I'm asking. This is awesome. Your belief has given you this blessing of healing. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is when Jesus is raised from the dead. And the women come and find that the tomb is empty. And what's fascinating to me about the story is not how it does play out, but how it doesn't play out. Jesus, all-powerful, bringing about the new covenant, this is the good news, Mm -hmm. spread it to all the earth. Women are not the ones that you strategically pick in first century Middle East, right? That's not what you do. Right. And if you're going to do that, why don't you, while there's a crowd around the tomb, bust out of the thing like with a fist punch and explode the rock everywhere? Mm. I'm serious. Yeah. The reason I'm bringing all this up is earlier I'd said he holds back power. Yeah. In our earthiness, how we use power, we really like to show it off. A lot of times where we will give ourselves an excuse for that is when we say, hey, a show of power was appropriate because it gained us market share or influence or it gave us the upper hand in a negotiation. There was some kind of strategic or tactical advantage to showing power, so that's what we should do. But Jesus, in a key move to prove that he's the Messiah— He doesn't do that. He does this weird underground thing. Right. Well, there's a humility to what Jesus is doing, right? But there's also a simplicity to Mm -hmm. it. This is how it happens in the kingdom of God. It is 
through the least of. It is through the weakness that God's mm-hmm. power is made manifest. Paul tells us this. Mm-hmm. Paul lets us know that he's got deficiencies, and he's talking about them all the time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The kingdom's different. All throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see him empowering those who don't have power. He never allows, either through teaching or through a miracle or whatever he's doing, he never allows the accolades to fall on him. He's always pointing to the Father, Uh but then he's turning to those around him and lifting them up. He's got this hodgepodge group of blue-collar disciples who are following him around, and they didn't make the cut Uh in school. It's a rough bunch of folks. They shouldn't be following a rabbi, but he's elevating them. These are the guys who eventually turn the world upside down by taking the gospel to the world. But it's not just them. Jesus is lifting all manner of people up. Mm -hmm. It's tax collectors. It's sinners. It's prostitutes. It's the poor. It's Gentiles. It's women. It's demoniacs. It's the marginalized of first century society in that space. Jesus is lifting them all up. It's disempowered people. It is. With an all-powerful God, and he's giving them power. Well, and the ironic thing about those who wielded power is that they tried to hold those things against Jesus. Why are you messing around with sinners? Right. They're trying to say that Jesus doesn't have power because these are the people that he's surrounding himself with. But well, now we understand that's the real power of the ministry of Christ. Sure. That's their ultimate goal with the crucifixion. Yeah. Let's mock him. Let's put a crown of thorns on his head. Let's joke that he's the king and everyone can visibly see the quote unquote king die. And that's the ultimate display of power. Again, there's such irony here because the way he is wielding his power is not to undermine them. He tends to come and say, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But here's the deal. Your ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And that is so scary to those who do hold power because that fear is driven by this human understanding of, well, certainly Jesus will want to hoard more and hoard more. And then he'll make himself an earthly emperor. And we can't have that. So let's kill him. Well, and I think we get the sense that those closest to him wanted that. Yeah, but he doesn't. Hence their confusion. No, he doesn't want it. And he has to continue to tell them, this is not who I am. And you know what? This is not who you are. Mm -hmm. If you are going to follow me, then you have to emulate this. You have to give up these incorrect ideas Mm -hmm. about power and how it works. So the kingdom is different. And if the kingdom is different and the power dynamics are different, then how should I see power? And how should I use it? Should I seek it at all? In Romans 8, we see Paul saying this about the spirit that lives in us. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The spirit of God that brought Jesus back from the dead, Uh that power lives in you and I. Mm -hmm. There isn't a limited power supply here. No one would consider God as some battery pack that's running down. No. We have all of these things in our lives that function that way. We have to lean into the God doesn't work that way. And if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me, then there is power in me. And if there is power in me, then I think Jesus is telling me to empower others around me. Mm -hmm. But man, how do we do that? 
I think we're afraid because we live into the worldly definitions of power and we are fearful that if we empower those around us, there's going to be nothing left for me. One thing I've learned in leadership about power is similar to money. The tighter you cling to it, the more anxious you become. Mm -hmm. Jesus is regularly telling us, don't be anxious. He's also modeling the way in which you cease to be anxious. Let go of these earthly things. And a lot of times the earthly things we imagine let go of are very tangible. Right. It's my stuff. But he also lets go of power. And I think the same holds true for us. It's not a tangible thing you can touch. But if you sit in a seat of power and your primary focus is holding that seat of power, it's like children playing king of the hill. You don't stand at the top of the hill and not feel some anxiety because everybody's trying to knock you off. And your one goal in playing king of the hill is to keep them from doing so. If you are doing power and leadership from a Christian worldview, which is what we hope to do at OCA, you steward a seat of influence, but it's not yours. You don't hold it in perpetuity. And it's not because of your greatness that you sit in that seat. It's because God has called you to this unique point in time to be his servant in that space. Mm -hmm. And you are going to be servant of all. And in the people you serve, you're going to give to them and empower them and inspire them and call them into greater forms of action and imagination. And the more you do that, the less anxious you become. Yeah. I'm thinking about the people who God lifts up in Scripture, the heroes of the faith. And maybe here and there you see some people and you're like, oh, they were already like a big deal. Mm -hmm. But overwhelmingly... What you have are the least of these. David is from one of the smallest tribes. He's the youngest in his family. God's doing this over and over again. He's not taking the oldest. He's not taking the most handsome. He's not taking the strongest. You have somebody like Moses, and he can't talk. You have somebody like Paul, and he says, I'm not articulate. There is this pattern where God is using the least of these to show his greatness, to show his power. And Paul articulates that for us, but he also models it for us. Mm -hmm. He says, this is who I am. So I'm going to boast in the Lord when these things that I'm doing in my ministry take off. Because in and of myself, I'm not this. In and of myself, I can't do this, but God is doing it through me. And he did the same with Moses. He did the same with Sarah. He did the same with Esther. He did the same with Ruth. We were reading Ruth this last week with the fifth graders. It's such a powerful story. These are Jesus's great, 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 great grandparents. Yep. And it's just a beautiful story of people who don't have two widows yep. who don't have, and God allows through his law, through his grace, through his goodness for not only them to be taken care of, but for you and I to know their names. Boaz and Ruth, Jesus' grandparents. I was going to bring up the law of gleaning. Yeah. I don't know if our students are familiar with the law of gleaning, but it is a great example of giving of power. It is. Because the law of gleaning is if you are a landowner and you have crops, which would be a major form of trade and influence and power at that time, you are not allowed by law to go end to end on your fields and take it all. You have to leave it for the least of ease, like Ruth. Leave the, leave the edges, leave the corners. Right? Ruth and Naomi and this, this family who not only are women, but foreigners, truly on the margin. And one thing I really love about the law of gleaning is it is an empowering law. It's not just that you give them these things. They come in and work and get these things. So they get that edification of I did, I worked, I sweat, and that's how I ate, which is exactly what Ruth does. Mm -hmm. Then, and of course, to your point, ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Right. It's a really cool story. It is. 
three weeks ago, you were having me read Garden City. John Mark Comer in that book emphasized so much of the cultural mandate in Eden, these opening verses of Scripture that say, I'm planting a seed that will ultimately cultivate to become all of culture around the world. And it's this garden that I call delight. It's Eden. And he puts these two people in it and he says, go forth and multiply. What strikes me is he doesn't say, go forth and make yourself a bunch of slaves. Mm. He says, multiply, which suggests to me, recreate yourself. And you are a creator. You're a maker. So make another maker and have them make a maker, which therefore multiplies our influence in doing and changing, bringing order to chaos, bringing beauty. That's all generative and giving. It's empowering. Mm. I give so you can give, so you can give, so you can give. That pattern is disrupted when you hold. When you get your piece and you say, I'm not giving, and in fact, I'm going to collect Jay's power. If you take that pattern all the way back to Eden, you're disrupting the generative juice that God infused into creation at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. The posture of the kingdom Mm -hmm. is service. Yeah. It's not authority. As Jesus is wrapping up the law and the prophets, he says, loving God and loving others, that's your business. Yeah. I think it's important probably to add before we finish up on this topic, I think it might be easier for you and I to imagine sacrificing power because we have power. And there are people in our world that are much more disempowered than we are. And when you are truly disempowered, I think there's a different kind of desire for power mm-hmm. that I, I don't think is innately malicious or anything like that. I'm just saying, if you're a seventh grader, a child, yeah, you've got influence, you've got sway, but you don't have a lot in like the community formal power. So you do tend to imagine what would it be like if I was rich and I could buy whatever car I wanted and I could buy whatever house I wanted. They're certainly not altruistic things that you're imagining, but I I also don't think they're innately bad because you don't have it yet. Right. And so you imagine what it might be to wield it. Yeah. As all young people do. I would say as we help our young people navigate that, we tell them things like, God is telling us if we are faithful with a little bit, he's going to give us Mm -hmm. more. Are you going to be faithful with the little that you have? The reality is you have some sort of power. Maybe you have a different influence at home than you have at school, or maybe you have a different influence on the court than you have in the classroom. But we're trying to grow these young people up into the image of Jesus Christ, and there's going to be this incremental growing into different kinds of influence and abilities. And I want to foster humility and love and service all the way through that process Mm -hmm. so that they don't land as a bank president at 35 going, I never really thought about this power thing before. Maybe I should do some good with the things that I have. Well, if they haven't thought about it, that's probably not what they're going to say. Probably not. So from a very young age, how do we take care of the people around us? You know what, big brother, little sister is not as strong as you. Maybe she doesn't have as many friends as you. Mm-hmm. Maybe whatever it is. Yeah. But she really wants to be you. Yeah. She's looking up to you all the time. I want you to know that, and I don't want you to take advantage of that, and I don't want you to disempower her, yeah. right? I want you to love her and to bless her. And whether it's siblings or friends or neighbors, the desire of God's heart, the heart that he wants to build in us, is that we are a people not looking to lord over others. Eagle families, we are so grateful that you joined us today. I just want to remind you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. 
And you know what? His power is unlimited. Therefore, we don't need to hoard it. We are free to give it away. So I just encourage you to look for those opportunities today to lift others up, to be the servant of all. It's who our Lord was, and it's who he is calling us to be. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a great week.